It's a joy to welcome you to our Wednesday night fellowship, our time together around God's Word, time to sing God's praises, just a time to find in the middle of the week a time of refreshing help, encouragement, and blessing, and we all need that, I'm sure. God has been so very good, and may I say, Merry Christmas to you. It's that time of year. A week from now, and a week and a day from now is going to be Christmas, so we're looking forward just to a delightful time of celebration at the church, I'm sure, in your various homes. And we are going to be looking forward to some of the activities that we're having in the next several days. To prepare us for our Bible study tonight, I invite your attention to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to cut into the middle of a passage here. We don't usually do that, but we're going to begin reading with verse number 7 and then complete, complete the reading through the end of the chapter. Philippians chapter 3, I'm reading my new, man, my new American Standard Translation. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted loss for the sake of Christ. Verse 8. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if anything you have a different attitude, God will re reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we've attained. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble estate into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Wonderful text from God's Word. All right, well, good evening. We're continuing our study in The Thriving Church, written by a friend of mine named Dr. Dean Taylor. 
who teaches up at Faith Baptist Bible College in Ankeny, Iowa now. And uh, he has been a pastor, and he's done a number of good things, and he knows something about the topic at hand, and that is church growth and what it is we're trying to do as a thriving church. I know when I grew up, there was, there was a big ambition in our church to get a lot of people in, and sometimes we would do things that really were a little bit out of the ordinary. We would have uh, different singing groups come in and invite people. I remember one day we had uh, Don Kessinger from the Cubs come and give his testimony uh, from Chicago, and uh, and a lot of people came just to see that baseball player. One time we had gospel birds. Another time we had a magician that came in during the Sunday school hour, and we would get a big crowd of people, and we called it growing a growing church. But a lot of those people just kind of showed up one time, and they had their excitement, and then they disappeared, and we never saw them again. And uh, I don't think that really was growth. I, it was a lot of excitement, and, and frankly, as a kid, it was a lot of fun, especially those gospel birds. I remember a bird riding a bicycle across a tightrope one time. That was pretty interesting. But I have no idea what the spiritual implications of that was. But anyway, we're going to be looking at the idea here of what it is that is growth in a church. Is it the size of the church? Is it the number of people? Is it the number of missionaries we, uh, we support? What is it that is the measurement by which we say we are a growing church? And we're going to start off by looking at Ephesians chapter 4 and uh, verses 11 through 14. They'll be kind of the key verses that we'll be honing in on tonight. Uh, we have looked at these verses the last few weeks dealing with pastors and dealing with the saints. And uh, now we're going to just kind of turn the corner a little bit and get into a definition and really kind of grasp a concept of what it is and how we measure growth. The topic is measuring growth. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service or ministry to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measuring of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. So tonight we're looking at this idea of growth, and, and you'll hear over and over again a statement that growth equals progress over time toward a goal. That's an important, under, important concept as we understand what growth is. Uh, in the notes I have a picture of a little boy measuring the growth of well, what it is for him to become taller, and he's excited about becoming taller, and how he has a goal of getting taller than he is right now. You can tell by the way he's got his hand raised up above his head. Uh, thrive and grow are familiar synonyms that we've been looking at throughout this study of the thriving church. So let's review those four questions. What is growth? Uh, what causes growth? Am I helping or hindering my church's growth? And how can I help make my church a growing body? Again, growth equals progress over time toward a goal. The definition of growth will permeate tonight's lesson. And so let's break that down. First, there's three points. Growth implies progress. We're going somewhere. Growth requires time. It doesn't happen overnight. Uh, although I think sometimes when we see our teenagers, when we get back together as a church, we're going to think that happened overnight. Uh, growing a foot, maybe, I think some of them have. 
But then the growth implies progress, growth requires time, and growth moves toward a definite goal. Uh, growth for a child is to become taller, to become an adult. Uh, growth in other ways in a business is to, is to grow the income. There's a lot of things that we look at as growth, but it's, it's toward a definite goal. In my office, I have a special bookcase that a, that a friend of mine built when we were living in Guam years ago. I would actually bought the wood and I bought some plans and we had bought some equipment and several of us had gotten together and we were going to be, uh, we were going to have our own wood shop. And then before I could get those uh, uh, bookcases built, uh, I was going to build two of them. And before I could get the bookcases built, somebody came in and stole all of our, all of our equipment. So I couldn't build anything. So here I had this pile of wood. I'd spent a, deal, uh, a, a good sum of money on it. I had a lot of plans. I knew what I wanted, uh, but I couldn't get it built. Uh, but there was a man in the church who heard about it, and he was a Navy SEAL, and, and he was always out on these missions. I think he jumped out of helicopters. I don't know what all he did. Uh, but he would come home, and you could tell he just needed to do something with his hands that kind of calmed him down. And so he agreed to take on the project, uh, and he would build me one bookcase if I would let him have the extra wood. And so I did that, and he did a beautiful job. It's in my office today. You can go there. And uh, we hauled that bookcase back from Guam, and we've hauled it all over the United States since we moved from church to church. Uh, and, uh, but I don't keep it so much for the bookcase. Uh, you can get a bookcase all, all over the place. You can get them at Ikea. I don't think they'll hold up, but you can get them. But uh, then you can, you can take these, uh, take, but this bookcase is very special to me, not because of where it was built or who built it, but because of what's on the back of it. If, uh, if I showed you, I'd have to take all the books off the bookcase and I'd have to turn it around, but on the back of it is what makes that bookcase so special. Because we moved from place to place, we would measure our daughter's height on the back of that bookcase, and I would mark the back, mark her, her height at each time and the dates of how old she was when she was at that height. And I don't remember when it was we, we stopped measuring her growth by height, uh, but that was very special to me. We saw her advancing towards the goal of adulthood. Now, one time we stopped, at some point we stopped uh, measuring her height, and we started taking other measurements. We measured her report card. We checked that out. We would measure her progress on the sports teams that she participated in, volleyball and basketball. We measured her improvement in music and acting and some of the other things that she was involved in. And we continued to see growth in her body, uh, not, not in her body, but growth in her life uh, as, a, as, a, as a young adult now. And now she's married. Today actually is her fifth wedding anniversary. Happy anniversary, Hope. Uh, and she's also growing as a mother and in her career. So we see growth continuing, but we measure it differently than with a, with a mark on the back of a bookcase. Now, I hope she's also seeing growth in my life and in my wife's life. Uh, not just in girth and weight. I hope she's seeing spiritual growth in our lives. We all need to be continually growing if we want to do something for the Lord. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we need to understand that each one of us is part of the body of Christ. And, the, and just as our physical bodies grow in height, as just as we, we grow in many other ways, our church needs to be growing and advancing in a certain way. And each one of us individually needs to be growing. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27 says, Now you are Christ's body, and individually members of it. So let's face it, once a body stops growing, uh, it starts to decline. Uh, I've noticed some older people who were once taller than they are, and now they have become little old ladies and little old men. Uh, 
And that doesn't mean they've stopped growing in other ways, but they've stopped growing physically. Now they're, they're growing spiritually, they're growing in grace, they're growing in, in knowledge, they're growing in some influence with other people. But, that, but when we stop growing and we stop slowing down, we're in trouble. And that's the way it is with a church. When we start slowing down as a church and we're not growing as a church, our church is in decline. And we don't want that to happen. You know, typically we tend to measure a church's growth by counting heads. How many people were in your church service this Sunday? A lot of times I've been to pastor's fellowships and, and the pastors will get together and they talk and one of them will ask the other, how many are you running this week? And how many are you running this week? And they kind of, some, sometimes they get a little bragging about, how, uh, start bragging about how many people they had compared to another church. That's not what we're talking about when it comes to growth. Sometimes growth in a church is measured by other tangibles, like the size of the offerings or the number of missionaries that you support or the number of people who are on your church staff on a paid position, how many ministry programs you have going on. Uh, all of those sorts of things that, that in a business world may be tangible and that sort of thing, but in a church that's really not necessarily evidence of the kind of growth that God wants to have in the church. Dean Taylor says, increase in the size and scope of ministry is one kind of growth. It's the kind we usually desire, work for, and get excited about when it happens. But is the Lord really excited about that kind of growth? I can think of some churches right now that I've seen on television and I've seen in other places in the country where they have huge numbers of people, but I wouldn't say that they're advancing the way God wants them to advance. Growth is progression of time uh, that moves toward a goal. A child has a goal of growing taller, a bodybuilder has a desire to have bigger biceps, a fitness worker tries to have a slimmer figure, a runner wants to improve his or her time, or run faster or farther. All of these represent growth. It's incre incremental, it takes time, it takes effort, and it usually happens so slowly that we don't notice it until it's happened. And this is what we're trying to do in a church. We're trying to keep our church growing in a direction that Christ wants it to go, and the direction that God is wanting it to go. Growth implies progress. Now, we're going to have to put our thinking caps on. If you've got your notes, you see that funny-looking thing where a pan's turned upside down a bunch of... That's the idea of a thinking cap. You've got to have to think tonight, because we're going to look at a couple of prepositions, and we're going to couple look at some words and see how they fit together towards a goal. Now, what is a preposition? If you haven't been in school in a while, you have to kind of think back for a minute. I remember Chris and I used to have to study for our Miss Seacrest, and she would have us quote all of these lists of uh, prepositions, aboard, about, above, across, after, against, and there were so many that went on, I don't even want to talk about it. And uh, we would have to go through those things and describe what, uh, what a preposition was. But uh, what is a preposition? It it, it relates a noun to an object. It relates, it takes something from one place to another. Uh, an example, some examples in your notes there. It says, I am going to Canada. Uh, Alex threw a stone into the pond. Uh, the present is inside the box. Uh, they have gone out of town. That's the idea of a preposition. And it shows movement. It shows progress in a direction. Uh, these are directional prepositions that we're talking about, and we're going to look at some of those now. Go back now to the text that we have in Ephesians chapter 4. Um, and it says that pastors and teachers, in verse 11, uh, are, verse 12, equipping the saints for the work of service. 
to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So we see action, we see something happening, we see progress happening. That is an indicator of growth, of spiritual growth in a, in a certain direction. Now those, those words all come from a Greek word, ace, E-I-S is the way we would spell it in, in English. And, and it's just a little preposition, a little word that indicates movement from one place to the other. Dean Taylor says the best way to, to translate that little word is unto. So we're going unto certain things. There's progression for or unto the work of service. There's progression to or unto the building up of the body. There's progression to or unto the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son. There's progression to or unto maturity. There's progression to or unto the fullness of Christ. Progress over time toward a goal. We're trying to get somewhere spiritually. We're trying to get somewhere, somewhere in a matter of growth. There's a five-step progression that's described in, those, in that text. Uh, pastors help the saints to grow in their service to the Lord by helping them find their ways to minister through the local church, using their gifts and talents, turning their interests into the right direction for the best interest of the local church. Ephesians chapter 4, pastors equipping the saints for the work of service or ministry. Secondly, these ministering saints cause a church body to grow in strength, influence, and ability to the building up of the body of Christ. The church grows in influence. It grows in opportunity. It grows in, in uh, what it's accomplishing in the world for the Lord. Thirdly, everyone in the church grows in doctrinal unity and the knowledge of who Jesus is. It says we attain unto the unity of the faith of what we understand about the Lord, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, the more we learn about the Son of God. So there's unity the more we learn about the Lord, and we, we find unity and growth in that direction. Doctrinal unity uh, and knowing about Christ causes a church to grow into spiritual maturity. You know people in the church who, when you have a question, a Bible question, you don't know where to go, you know somebody who's developed spiritually more than you have. They've, they've been down the road more. They've studied their Bible more. They've read the Bible more. They, they've, been, they've lived the Christian life longer than you have. And you look at them and say, they're more mature. And when I have a question, I'm going to them to find some answers. Uh, so we go to unto a mature man or a mature lady in the church for help. And then a growing church matures into an effective gospel lighthouse in the community, fifthly, and a place of refuge for God's people. It says there in Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 13 and 14, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, and as a result, in verse 14, we're no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. Well, last week we made a comment and came, I think Dean, Dean Taylor said a pastor had said that to him and our pastor has said it to us. Uh, for the church to grow, each individual member in the church has to grow. And so we all need to be heading towards these five particular goals that are mentioned in Ephesians chapter five or 4, verses 11 through 14. We need to be walking forward in our walk with God. 
sometimes you feel like you're spinning your wheels. I think at times, especially right now, when we're not able to meet and we're not able to gather as a church and see one another, we sometimes feel like our Bible reading is spinning our wheels or, or we can't get out and witness like we'd like to or we can't do some of the things we'd like to do. But use these times to help you, you should use this time to help you grow spiritually, to deepen your walk with the Lord, and to progress towards the things that God wants you to learn and develop in this, in this time. Um, be assured, though, as you walk in the Spirit, as you obey the Lord, as you're studying God's Word, as you meditate on the words of hymns, as you listen to Bible-based sermons, as uh, you attend Bible studies in Sunday school, whether it's on Zoom or live stream or in person, the more you do that and serve through your local church in whatever way you're able to, you're going to find it's going to be natural that you will grow and develop as a Christian. Your private study of the Word is also a big, important part of these steps in the right direction. You're growing in the Lord. Spiritual growth in individuals and in a church is as natural and as normal as the growth of a child into adulthood. It just happens as we walk with the Lord. So growth is progress in a direction, but it also requires time. It's not going to happen overnight. I've, I've been around uh, people who've gotten saved and they get so excited and the first thing they want to do is teach a teen Sunday school class or direct the choir. You know, they just want to jump right out in leadership and they want to just be right out there in front of people. Some want to push the pastor aside and get up and preach a sermon. I've seen that happen. But the, the thing is we need to progress in time towards the possibilities of greater service and greater knowledge of the Lord. It takes time. When I was a boy, my father used to load us up in, in the family vehicle. It was a big old car with a V8 engine, and we'd load up in there, and, and we would head off to Grandma and Grandpa Pelletier's house. It was about a 30-minute trip, but as a kid, it seemed like it was forever. And we would wind through the, along the river, and then we'd go through the town of Kankakee, then we'd go through the town of Roma Park, and then back out into the woods and out into the country, and then we'd end up at Grandma and Grandpa's house, a little brick, a red brick house in St. Anne, Illinois. And it took forever to get there, and, and we used to complain, and we'd say, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And you've probably done that as a child as well. Now, my dad used to be very wise, and he would turn to us, and he said, now, children, one of these days we're going to get to heaven, and when we get to heaven, we're just going to wish we were someplace, and boom, we're going to be there. Now, I think that theology was a little crazy. I don't think that's true at all. I think he got that off of Bewitched, or he got it off of I Dream of Genie. Uh, I don't know where he got that theology, but it was the idea that you could nod your head and shake your head, and all of a sudden you'd be where you want to be. I don't know if that's the way it's going to be. But I do know this. In, in, our, in our life, we are going to grow spiritually, and we're going to grow, and it's going to take some time. Dad used to say, these things just take time. And that's the way it is in our spiritual walk. So don't be in a rush, don't be in a hurry, don't be impatient, you walk with the Lord daily, be in his word, be spending time in prayer. Uh, someone said, what's more important, reading your Bible or, or praying? And, 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 some, and the answer is, is it more important to breathe in or breathe out? We need those things in order for us to be able to grow spiritually. 
And there's the idea of time found in verse 13. It says, until we attain to the unity of the faith. That's a Greek word, mekri. And it's the idea of uh, there's a point in time we have to get from one place to the other. Mm -hmm. And instead of a, a progression in growth, there's a progression in time. Mm -hmm. And so, ice indicates direction, meriki um, yeah, Mercury, Mercury uh, indicates progress in time. And so hopefully the longer we walk with the Lord, the longer we read the Bible, the more we spend time witnessing to people, the more we spend time just teaching our children the principles of the Word of God, we are going to find that we are growing. And uh, we're growing spiritually. A growing pa Christian patiently endures as he aims to attain or to come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, Ephesians 4.13. So growth is progress over time toward a specific goal. Point three, growth moves toward a definite goal. Ephesians 4.13, until we attain what? The unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Those are stages that we're trying to move toward. Those are definite goals. I think Dean, in his book, talks about going up to, to going to climb Mount Everest. You don't just start at the bottom and shoot straight to the top. There are little stations along the way that you stop and you sleep and you replenish yourself, and you replenish your supplies, and then you move on to the next goal, and ultimately you get to the top of the mountain. I don't think I'll ever do that, but maybe some of you will. I want to do. I do want to progress, though, spiritually, and I do want to grow. Mm -hmm. Now, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, also uses some pronouns. Now, you remember what a pronoun is. That's a word that replaces a proper word, or a proper name, or a proper name of a person. And it's like I and me and you. Well, he uses some plural pronouns called we, which includes you and me, us, the whole group of people. It says, and he uses the word all in verse 13. So this is, a, uh, this is not just an individual effort. We want to work together towards this growth. We help each other grow spiritually as individuals, but we want our church to grow together as we all work together towards the growth of the local church. There's no room for this Lone Ranger mentality. I know a lot of people say, I don't have to join a church. I don't want to be a part of a church. I can be a Christian without the church. Yes, I suppose so, but you can't get as far as you would with the local church. And you need to be a part of a local church. If you haven't joined a local church, let me encourage you. Become part, find a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. If you're a Christian, you should be a part. You should contribute your particular gift. Remember, a body by itself, all the parts of a body by itself is not going to thrive. A liver doesn't do well by itself. It has to have kidneys and hearts and eyeballs and teeth and all those things to make it work right. And you and I have our individual gifts that the church body needs in order for the church to thrive and to grow. Philippians chapter 1 verse 27 tells us, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind. It's the idea of everybody with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. 
The growing body is characterized in two ways, in oneness and fullness. And we're going to look at those definitions now for the rest of the lesson now. Oneness and fullness. It talks about the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13. You know, sometimes people go to church because they want comfort. I think that's the people who maybe show up at Easter and Christmas. They just want to go because that's, that, that comforts them. That's part of their tradition. It's, it's a family thing that they do. Uh, it it kind of makes them feel good about themselves. But the rest of the time, they don't really go to church. And I think sometimes they try it, and they go for a little while, but they just don't feel like they fit in, and they don't know what's going on. Uh, they stand up when they're supposed to. They sit down when they're supposed to. They sing the best they can, though they may not know the songs. But they've tried everything else, so they try church. And they find out that it just doesn't meet their need. Why is that? Well, I believe that that's because they're going through the motions, many of them. And they haven't truly known the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. They're trying to turn over a new leaf rather than have their heart and life transformed by the regeneration that happens when we are saved as believers. Only those who actually come to an understanding of their need to trust rather than try Jesus become sons and daughters of God through the new birth. Only those who are truly born again are part of this oneness that is found in Jesus Christ. This oneness is known and experienced in two important ways in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13. There's one common faith, the unity of the faith. Those who truly have been born again have great confidence in the transaction that took place at the moment that they accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. They know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they are on their way to heaven. They've accepted Jesus Christ. He's their Lord and Savior. They know that they are children of God. Now, Christians get together, and, and we may have differences of opinion. Right now, we are in a world that's full of all kinds of opinions. Politically, uh, dealing with COVID, how you're going to deal with it, whether it's serious, whether it's not, whether you wear a mask, whether you don't, uh, whether you want to get the vaccine or whether you don't want to get the vaccine. Oh, we don't even get into that right now. But we can find unity around the idea of knowing that we're on our way to heaven together. Mm -hmm. Christians may have differences of opinion. Christians may have differences and ideas on how things should be handled. But we will find unity when we talk about how we came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. One of my favorite things to do with the men at our church when we do our men's prayer breakfast is to have a man stand up and give his testimony about how he came to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Mm -hmm. And as I sit there and listen to him give his testimony, I look at the, at the faces of the other men who also know the Lord. And you can see them nodding in agreement. Mm -hmm. You know that there's something that they have found together. It is oneness this common faith, this understanding of who Jesus Christ is. I've traveled to a few different places, and I've been even here in the Bay Area to some churches that they, where the, the main language is different than the one I speak. I know English. I took Spanish. I learned no hablo espanol. That's all I got out of four years. But the idea here is we go to foreign countries, and you can step into a church where maybe they don't speak your language. But if you're a Christian, and they're a Christian... You sense something there, yes. and you know there's something very real there, and there is a unity built around the faith, and they believe the same things about Jesus Christ that you believe and I believe. I remember being in a church in Thailand with my wife, and we went in, and we went into that church, and I had no idea what those people were saying, <laughs> but they started to sing, and I could find myself humming along, and I'd sing mm -hmm. in English if I knew the song they were singing, 
And when that pastor preached, you could just sense a holy hush that went over the crowd as they found unity around the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Culture, clothing, sermons, songs, all those things may be different, but you're going to find unity around the cross of Jesus Christ. Oneness with a brother or sister in Christ is known in spite of great differences. And even within a local church, there's other there's several ministries going on. And I think of people who work in the nursery, people who work in children's church, people who teach the teenagers, ushers who stand in the back and make sure everything fits together. Though we may all have different particular interests within the church, we can find unity around the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. Dean Taylor says this, growing in oneness means our differences matter less and less. And our belief in Jesus, God's Son, unites us more and more. When we gather, our differences fade into the background. We leave them at the door. Uh, we're so focused on Jesus Christ that the issues might, that might alienate us from one another, they just disappear. Nobody cares anymore about whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. We love the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's what we're going for. That's oneness through a common faith. Then there's oneness in a common pursuit. It says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, there's the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Pastor read some verses in Philippians chapter 4 about pressing toward the mark. We want to know more about the Lord Jesus. Philippians chapter 4 verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection uh, and be conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. We want to be like that. And Paul said, I haven't gotten there yet. I haven't reached that point yet. But I want to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a song, more about Jesus, what I know more more about Jesus. That's the way we need to be. We need to be trying to learn more about the Lord Jesus Christ. Not so that we can fill our head with greater knowledge. I know more than you do. I have greater theological knowledge than you do. I have more degrees than you do. It's we want to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? So we can be like him. So we can become more like him. We want to know the Lord better, we want to please Him more, and we want to bring everybody in our church along with us along the way. That's why people volunteer to teach other people's children, to help them. That's why people get involved in ministry in a local church, to help somebody else come to a greater understanding of who Jesus Christ is. That's why we get together and we try to pass out tracts or we try to witness to people. We want other people to know Jesus Christ. Dean Taylor says our oneness comes from our shared pursuit of knowing Jesus Christ more fully, completely, and intimately. Oneness comes aside when we set aside our business concerns, our political preferences, our backgrounds, and we pursue Jesus Christ with every bit of effort we have. And then we go from this idea of oneness and we step into an idea of fullness Fullness, Ephesians 4.13, until we attain or come to these other things, but to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. I like what Dean says here in this one paragraph. How does one measure a church? Attendance, offerings, baptisms, new members, ministry programs, missionaries. I've seen people collect missionary cards like they do baseball cards. 
Paul's emphasis and the Holy Spirit's emphasis is the author of Scripture, or is on, and it's on something else. It's the fullness of Christ. The fullness represents everything that makes an object or person what it is. It's the total of all the elements fitting together, making up that object or that person. It's like building a house. You don't just you don't just throw a pile of wood and brick and rock and and electrical wires and plumbing. Uh, tubes all over the ground and say, oh, I got a house. No, it all has to be put together. Uh, the other day we made cookies for the firemen and the policemen. And uh, that didn't just happen because we threw some flour and eggs and sugar into a bowl. Uh, we had to go through the process of making them together and kneading them and, and then cutting and decorating and baking them and making it all come together. That's what it is. It's, it's, a, it's the sum of the whole put together so that it accomplishes what God wants to be done. A church has to grow to fullness. It has to come to maturity. A maturity of being Christ-like in its relationships with its brothers and sisters in the church and those who are outside of the church. Full, the fullness of Christ. What is the fullness of Christ? What does it mean to be full like Christ? John chapter 1 verse 14 talks about this. And it's, it's pretty, uh, pretty, pretty straightforward. It says in John chapter 1, verse 14, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory. The glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of what? Full of grace and truth. John testified about Him and cried out, saying, This was He of whom I was said, He who is, comes after me is higher ranked than I, for He existed before me, for of His fullness we have received, and grace upon grace... For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. What is grace? Jesus was full of grace. He was full of unmerited favor. He loved us even when he knew us and we were totally undeserving of his love. And he died on the cross to save us from our sins. It's unmerited. We didn't deserve it. I think Jonathan Edwards, when he was here preached, he said the only thing you contributed to your salvation was was the sin that made it necessary that you needed to be saved. Everything about our salvation is from the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is favor, Dean Taylor says this, especially favor that is undeserved. God's grace is the favor that he shows to all of us. It's undeserved because of our sinfulness. He favors us by loving us despite our sins, showing us mercy, forgiving our sins, granting us free and full access to him in prayer patiently giving us time to grow in his image and one day welcoming us to the place he has prepared where, he will, where we will live with him forever. During his time on earth, Jesus Christ was gracious to everyone. I think the only one he ever went after were the religious people who refused to accept him. But the idea is Jesus was full of grace. If we want to grow to maturity to be like the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to be gracious people. We need to be loving and kind people. We need not to be snippy at the grocery store. We need to, not to be rude on the roads. We need to be kind to our children. We need to be kind to our neighbors. We need to be the kind of people who show unmerited favor to other people and thereby draw people to the Savior who wants to, who wants to do something for them. But that's only half of the fullness of Christ. We don't want to just be nice people. We also have to believe and follow truth. Jesus Christ was full of grace and truth. 
His grace was available, but it was you had to follow except truth if you wanted to have it avail, have access to it. John's fourteen, John one fourteen to seventeen emphasize that truth. What is truth? Truth, Dean Saylor says, is reality. It is what is real. It is not pretend or made up. Truth includes not only the facts about the world and about life, it includes absolute principles, life and death, heaven and hell. It includes all these things, salvation or being rejected. You have to have this truth in order to be able to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 17, verse 17 says, Sanctify them through the, in the truth. Your word is truth. So we have to know our Bibles. We can't just be nice people who just accept everything and not stand for anything. We have to stand for truth. Jesus stood for truth, and we need to stand for truth. Truth is found in God's Word. That's why we need to be studying God's Word. You want to be mature. You want to be full of grace and truth. You have to know God's Word. John 14, verse 6 says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is the embodiment of truth. His word is truth. There's no such thing as your truth and my truth. There's only the truth. And you need to know what that is, and you will find that in God's word. The truth is that the gracious Son of God left heaven's glory to come down to die in your place and mine, to offer grace to us. But the truth is also that if you refuse that, you will not be able to partake of it. And we have to be able to give all that truth to people. We will be judged by what we do with the truth that's found in God's Word. And mature Christians eagerly and constantly seek to understand what the truth is. And then they willingly submit to whatever God says in His Word. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 22 verse 23 says, He put all things in subjection under His feet and gave Him His head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So you and I, as, a, as individuals and as a church, we need to be growing in grace, and taking progress over time towards a goal of grace and knowing more about truth and standing firmer for truth. That's when we know that we are growing. It has very little to do with numbers. It has very little to do with a bank account. It has very little to do with the number of missionaries or how many people we have on staff. It has everything to do with what we do with Jesus Christ and how we're following Him. You want to be a growing church? Follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't measure the growth of our church by comparing ourselves to another church. We don't measure the growth of the church by the amount of money or the amount of people we have. We measure our growth by how we match up to the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to attain, Ephesians 4.13, to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I like Dean Taylor's definition of, of growth, and we'll be drawing this to a close. Growth is continual progress progress toward the goal of resembling Christ's grace and truth in order to represent Him well in this world. That's what we're shooting for. That's the growth we want to see. And we can do that right now just by continuing to individually be growing in grace and truth as we read God's Word and we live it out in our daily lives. 
Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 says this, Our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he's given to subject all things to himself. As we are trying to grow as a church, it's not about building a kingdom here on earth. It's about preparing ourselves for another kingdom and another place as we walk with the Lord. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15 tells us the result of growing maturely and uh, growing spiritually in the faith. Ephesians 4.15, as a result, we're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. Mature Christians, in other words, we don't freak out. We stay calm. We, we, we trust the Lord. We walk with the Lord. We know that God's trying to accomplish something in our lives. And he's trying to prepare us for something, that he, a, a way that he wants to use us in his service. That's the goal of what we're shooting for. Let's keep growing towards that goal for the glory of God and for the good of our church and the good of the people outside of the, in the community around us who need us to be that lighthouse of truth and to need us to be a, a place of a safe haven for those who trust the Lord as Savior. Let's keep growing. Growth equals progress over time toward a goal. Be faithful and you'll find yourself growing. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we pray that you'll help these thoughts to be a source of comfort to Christians who are wondering about whether they're growing or not. I trust that it'll be a reminder to some who don't know Jesus Christ as Savior of their need to really trust Him with all of their heart and to accept Him as their personal Savior and to stop just going through religious motions. And I pray, Lord, that you help us to be a church that strives to work together to help each other mature in the faith so that we can be effective ministers in this world and be ready for the one to come. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.